Thank you, Pastor Jack. Uh, you guys can be seated. I, uh, it is amazing, absolutely uh, an honor, and honestly, um, it's, 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 it's humbling to be here this morning with you guys. And, um, you know, the past three years, there's, there's power in unity. And uh, there, there, there may be a lot of arguments to be said over what's occurred over the course of the last three years, but what is evident is that the devil has tried to keep the church separated as much as possible. Um, and being here is so invigorating. And uh, I, I, uh, <clears throat> I can't promise I won't be emotional. And I think the problem is, is I didn't prepare myself for being emotional to be back here. Uh, I appreciate Jack's kind, word, kind words, but the truth is missions, uh, when we came here in 2016, uh, the message here about missions radically changed our lives. And Reagan and I have been doing ministry for 20 something years. And uh, I've been doing youth evangelism for 25 years. Uh, so it was, it was uh, terribly humbling to, to come to a conference and discover that um, we were doing it wrong. And I, I say that, you know, I don't mince words. I, I mean that, that there was a part of us that just kind of sat there like, what are we doing? And, um, and so missions is, isn't just something, it's not just that I've grabbed hold of it. It's that I've realized it's the only thing that matters. Um, everything else is, is different. So I, I wanted to just uh, up to date like quickly because there are a couple of things that are going to be awesome here this morning. One miracle is going to happen is I'm going to preach for 28 minutes. And uh, that's a miracle in and of itself. So if I start talking fast, you'll know. Um, but, you know, in, in, in the United States, um, we, you know, it's, it's rough. Um, Homelessness is literally, it is, it's terrible. Phoenix is one of the havens within the United States, yet even in Phoenix, uh, in our neighborhood, where five years ago you would have driven for miles and not seen a homeless person. You, you would have known probably in, in, in our area, obviously with what we do, you know, you could easily get to know every homeless person in the area. Um, and so we would go out and we would take food or we would go something and you get to know them on a first name basis. There was like 12 of them. Today... Uh, there are hundreds, if not thousands, just in our neighborhood. Uh, in Los Angeles, there's over, the homeless population is over 100,000. Um, at a time where jobs are everywhere. And the reality is, is that what we're watching unfold is what Scripture tells us is going to unfold, which is men's hearts will fail us. And uh, people are giving up on life. And I think that to a large degree, it's because we have been selling them the idea that life is all there is, that that's it, go after it. And what's happening is they're realizing, boy, it's not very fulfilling. I'll just give up and, and, and grow comfortably numb and uh, drugs and fentanyl. And, and, you know, in 22 years that we have been doing this in the first 20 years, Reagan and I attended and official, officiated one funeral for a teenager, one. In the last three years, we've officiated five and all of them have died from drugs. All of them. It's the number one cause of death between 18 and 27-year-olds in the United States. Overdoses. Right? And, and uh, this morning, the message I want to share is, is this idea that... And honestly, it's, it's funny. Speaking missions, honestly, talking to this church, I'm terribly nervous. 
Like, on a, t- talking to you guys about missions is like, I might as well have come here to tell you about footy. <laughs> I don't even know. I'm, I'm, even the word coming out of my mouth, footy, I don't even know I'm saying it right. <laughs> right? Like, so for me, it's like, okay, I'm going to talk to this church about missions. But the reality is, is that uh, if we aren't talking about it, it's easy to stray away from it. And if we stray away from it, what ends up happening is, is we, we fall into the idea of worshiping ourselves. I believe we're living in a time that's almost like the Tower of Babel, where we believe salvation is at the end of our own hands, that we could do anything, that we could fix anything, that if you just let us be in control, the, the smart ones, that we'll take care of all the problems. And what we're discovering is, is that we actually muck it up way worse when we... And God tells us just to trust him and, uh, and he'll take care of those things. And so it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. You know, in the United States, um, the United States possesses about 32% of the world's wealth, 32% of the world's wealth. And, uh, the next largest economy in the world is China who possesses about 15% of the world's wealth. The third largest economy in the world is Japan who possesses about five percent of the world's wealth. In the United States, 70% of the Americans still tick the box that say they're Christians. So if we were to do simple math, and now let's just pretend that everybody that goes to church tithes, but if we were to do simple math, the American church tithe would be larger than the sixth largest economy in the world. Yet in America, we give, we spend more money on Halloween costumes for our pets than we do on missions. Why? And that's what I want to share this morning. I believe I've titled the message Lost in Translation. I want to start by telling you a simple story. In 1945, uh, the Allied forces had just beat Germany. And uh, they had met in Potsdam to talk about the conditions of surrender for Japan. And out of that meeting had come what was widely considered to be unbelievably lenient conditions. And when word had traveled back to Emperor Suzuki, he and his staff said, this is great. If it's true, we'll accept these terms. But because the word hadn't come through proper channels, Emperor Suzuki, who was incredibly old, uh, didn't want to jump the gun. So he had decided he was going to take a position on this. So when the press came, uh, more, most specifically Tokyo Radio, when it had come to pressure him, hey, what are you going to do about the Potsdam uh, Declaration? He used a word that to older people meant one thing and to younger people meant another. To older people, the word he used was mokusatsu, which has these two meanings. The older translation means to withhold comment for the moment. And that's what he wanted to do. To the younger generation, it meant to ignore. Or more accurately, kill with silence. And when Radio Tokyo went out and said, the, the, the emperor is going to ignore this declaration that you're not going to agree to the terms of surrender. President Truman was stuck with giving the order to drop those two bombs and over 100,000 people died because of a simple misunderstanding. And it's crazy because in Japan, they began to blame him for being old and out of touch. But the truth is, the people that were closest to the emperor knew exactly what he meant. The people that were closest to him knew exactly what he meant, right? And we can learn a lot from this. It's important to be close to the one who's speaking if you want to know what they're meaning. 
right? Because the reality, especially when the one who's speaking has a lot of power and authority, right? So when we're talking about the word of God, we're not, we're talking about no greater power or authority, right? It's so vitally important that we know the one who's speaking, that we know him, because the men that were around the emperor knew he wants to withhold comment. For, but those that were just on the distance said, oh, that word doesn't mean to me. Right? See what I'm saying? Like, sometimes we hear the word, we read the word, and we translate it as it means to us. So it's like, we, we go, that's what it means to me. I'm the one that's hearing it. But it's more important to know what the one speaking it means than it is to the one that's hearing it. And I'll use a, a scripture that I think helps us understand this. Romans 8, 28 says, for all things work together for the good that love God and called according to his purpose. Right? Now, the word good is like beauty. It's in the eye of the beholder. I think I can use something that will help drive this home. There was a game a couple of weeks ago. I believe it was called the State of Origin. And at the State of Origin game, you were there, and a lot of you probably were sitting there amongst people that were voting for one side or for the other. Right? You had Queensland and you had New South Wales. And to be fair, I don't even know who won, so please don't be mad at me for using this analogy. But what I do want to say is this, that the very same thing happened to the, in the very same moment to two different people. And for one group of people, it was a good thing. And for one group of people, it was a bad thing, right? So you have this, all things work together for the good of those that love God and called according to his purpose. We always translate that good is in my eyes. So I, I interpret that to go, God, all things are supposed to work for the good. I should be seeing what I think good is occurring in the life around me rather than going, wait a minute, the same thing's happening to the same two people right now, me and my Lord. And the good is according to him, not according to me. I don't want to be the author of my life. I want him to be the author of my life, right? So when we're talking about this, he's going, hey, all things work together for the good. We have to understand that, okay, wait a minute. What's more important, my understanding of the meaning or his understanding of the meaning? And I believe this is one of the greatest tricks. This is, this is probably the most common tool that the devil uses in our lives. In fact, in scripture, we see it all the time. The devil never comes to you and offers you a completely different idea, a thought or truth. The devil doesn't come and speak to you and share something that's so out of the realm of the norm. No, the devil comes to you like he does to Adam and Eve. And he says, didn't God say that you can eat from every tree? Didn't he say that? He challenges you. Wait a minute, that's right. He did say that. God wants me to eat from every tree. And if you don't think it's true, everywhere, even to Jesus, what does he say to Jesus? Doesn't it say, doesn't it say you could throw yourself down upon these rocks or turn the rocks into, into bread? Doesn't it say that you jump off this cliff and the angels will protect you? Doesn't it say, what is he trying to do? He's trying to pervert the truth to get us to cling to our meaning rather than cling to his meaning. And sometimes with faith, sometimes with faith, we have to come to this point where we go, I don't understand and I don't know and I can't figure it out, but I do know the one who does. And I place my hope and I place my trust and I place my faith in his hands, in his hands, right? And so when we're looking at this, we are understanding it. We hear these things all the time. God wants me to be blessed, but who's defined that word, me or him? He wants me to be whole. He wants me to be healed. I know some people that by my definition of healed, they're not healed, but they would tell you flat out they are healed. Healed. Now this is the life, this is the life that God has given to me. 
This is the life. This is the plan. This is the purpose of my life. And embrace it. Why? Because God knows better than I do. And when, we're, when we realize this, we understand, wait a second, have I lost something in translation? Has the devil perverted an idea in me that now all of a sudden I'm putting a priority on things I shouldn't be putting a priority on and I'm ignoring the things that should be focused on, right? In Luke chapter 15, verse four, we all know the story. Jesus says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it, right? Now we all know this, especially with missions, but I want to focus on one part of this story that Jesus shares. The part where he says, he leaves the 99 in the wilderness. Jesus doesn't say he takes the 99 back and secures them within a safe stable. And then he cleans them and he feeds them and he nourishes them and he makes sure that they are comfortable and that they are happy. And then the shepherd goes out and he finds the lost. No, some translations say open pasture. One translation even says the mountainside. That he leaves the 99 on the mountainside to pursue the one. Why? Because missions is the mission. Missions is the missions. What is it? What the man says to Jesus, can I please go and bury my father? What does Jesus say? No, let the dead bury the dead. That man did it. That was a, that was a saying of the time. He wasn't saying my father's died. I got to go and bury him. Jesus wasn't being cold hearted. It was a saying. He was saying, will you let me go take care of the things that I'm responsible for? Then I will come and I will follow you. It's the same as in the story when he said, hey, let's take the 99 and let's make sure that they are safe. Let's make sure that they're taken care of. Let's make sure that they're well fed. Let's make sure that their needs are met. And then let's go after the one. I fully believe that what we're seeing and what we've been seeing, and I think this is why men's hearts are failing them in the United States, is because we have embraced this idea that Jesus died to give me a better life. Not that he died to give me eternal life. You know, Spurgeon says that the man who, the man who contemplates death with joy is a living sermon. Is a living, is there a single person in this room, myself included, who contemplates death with joy? What is Spurgeon saying? Spurgeon is saying that we aren't seen as we ought to be seen, right? This is what Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 6. 19 through 25, Jesus is talking about this and he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in or steal. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be, will be also. So like one of the first verses that most everybody memorizes where your treasures are, there you are. And I remember as a young man, I still hear people say it from time to time when you're doing stuff. You know, you're working, you're sweating. In Arizona, like right, we left, it was, uh, what, 44 degrees or something. And, and we, we, you know, if you knew what our church was like, you'd be like, why is this guy on this stage? <laughs> it's a warehouse, okay? It, where the kids skate, there's not even air conditioning. And we have swamp coolers that blow in wet air. <laughs> and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't work. And the air conditioning, even in the sanctuary, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. In fact, we had church. I don't even know what the temperature would be, but a couple of weeks ago we had church and it was 90 degrees in the sanctuary because the air conditioning just couldn't compete with the 120 degrees outside. 
Right? You got these people coming together and we're here and we're, we're having church. And when kids are doing something, the leaders, you know, why am I doing this? Somebody will always say, your reward is in heaven. <laughs> you know, almost funny, like, you know. And you never really stop to think about it. But this morning, that's what I want to think about, right? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What better place for your heart to be than in Christ, your treasure? Now, it could be in earthly things. It could be in earthly things. You could, your heart could be in earthly things. But I'm here to tell you that I think that's why we see an epidemic of failing hearts. Because they put their heart in earthly things. Where rust and moth destroy. Where thieves come in and steal. They're vulnerable. Their, their hearts are susceptible. To what? To discouragement. To fear. To anxiety. The very things that Jesus secured for us at the cross. We're not to fear death. We're not to fear sickness or snakes or scorpions, right? You should know this. You guys have the most dangerous things in the world, all in Australia, right? I don't walk off the path here. I don't care where the path is. It's like, those are grass. Something in that grass can kill me. I'm pretty sure the birds in this state, in this country could kill me. I, I walked out of the hotel this morning and literally recorded the sounds of the birds because it was terrifying. Right? So unless we, we look at this and we're understanding this, but we must be convinced, right, that we are, unless we are convinced that what Jesus wants for us are earthly things. And now here's the trick. This is what I believe that where has been lost in translation. We've slowly moved into the direction of believing that what Jesus wants for us is what we want for us. And so we're thinking, well, that, that's what that means, right? And I'm here to tell you, that's not what it means. And to, to just kind of double down on this, I want to continue reading what Jesus says in Matthew 6. Because he continues, just in case we didn't catch what he was saying about putting our treasures, where our treasures are, there our heart will be also. He goes on to say, if the eye is the lamp of the body, so then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So what is he saying? He's saying, if what you are focused on, if what you're looking at, what you're headed towards, if what you're meditating on, if what occupies your thoughts is darkness, right? You'll be filled with darkness. If it's wrong, if it's bad, if it's not the right thing. And then he goes on to say, so if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What if the translation you've been clinging to is wrong? How great would that disappointment be? What if you thought what God wanted for you was for you to just acquire and to succeed and to build and, and to... You know, there's a real movement of preachers who believe driving expensive cars is what God wants. Owning jets is what God... Because people need to know that God blesses the faithful. Right? And I would tell you, people don't want to know that God blesses the faithful. Um, but, but so we have this. If the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? How great is it to think I'm headed the right way, I'm headed the right way, I'm headed the right way, only to get there and go, this is not where I thought I was headed. How disappointing, right? And to think, just to, just to make sure, Jesus, he's a great preacher, amen? To make sure that we don't get lost in translation, he says, because no one can serve two masters. For either they will hate the one and love the other, or they will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Right? Or mammon. 
You can't serve God and the tangible things of the world. This is the problem in America because we fully embrace the American dream in the church, believing that's what God wants for us. But that might not be what God wants for us. Read the gospel, right? I, mean, I always tell, when kids will come to me and they'll say something, I say, well, if you find, find me a disciple where your theology applies, because if your theology is right, it'll, you can apply it to Peter. You could, you could apply it to Paul. You could apply it to any of them, right? But unfortunately, they all died horrible deaths, and they all chose to, right? Like Spurgeon, most importantly, like Jesus, who for the joy set before him, who for the joy set before him. There was an understanding of what awaited him, and what awaits us is beyond what this world can offer us. Heaven, heaven, far more than life. And, and when we get that lost in translation, all of a sudden we put our hearts in earthly things and all of a sudden now we're vulnerable. In my Bible, the very, before it goes on to verse 25, it says this, the cure for anxiety. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? And then I jump up to 32 for six more verses. He speaks exactly the same way. And then verse 32, this is what he says. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be provided. You know, tonight I'm gonna share some of the most amazing things that God has done since we embraced missions. But I don't wanna talk about those things this morning because it's not why we embraced missions. The outcome, right? We're, we're so consumed with the outcome, aren't we? Even when we read scriptural stories, there's you know, only joy in them because we know the outcome. Jonah, Job, right? Samson even. We know the outcome. We, we obsess about the outcome. Why? Because we're believing that's exactly what God is concerned with. And he's not. What he is concerned with is seeking the lost, our lives are to be all day long like sheep to the slaughter. For what? So that those that do not know Jesus would know him and the hope of his salvation. Why? Because eternity is a long time and life is but a moment that appears for a while and then vanishes. In this passage here, he says, for where your treasures are, there your heart will be also. I wrote down three things. And this is the way God speaks to me and I apologize if it comes across as like blunt but I do. I, I, I was an athlete as a kid. I've always felt like God talked to me like a coach does. And sometimes it's aggressive. Right? But it says here, for where your treasures are there, your heart will be also. Well, how do I know where my treasures are? How do I know where my treasures are? I'll tell you what I think about knowing where your treasures are. One, you search for treasure. If it's treasure, you search for it. You look for it. You're obsessed with it, right? If it's your treasure, you get up thinking about it. Whatever it is you wake up thinking about, whatever it is you spend your time uh, contemplating, you're like, okay, when I have time, this is what I'm gonna do for that treasure. My free time is consumed by where my treasure is. If I've got a moment, what am I spending it on? Am I spending it on my health? My spending, if I've got time, 
right? And when I only have time, what do I choose? The second thing is this. If it's treasure, you fight for it. You will sacrifice. You will spend your time and your talent and your resources for treasure. You'll do it. You'll, you'll be like, you know what? This is now taking all of me. Why? Because it's a treasure. In fact, when we read that story, the man who found the pearl of great price, what did he do? He buried it and he went and he sold everything he had to come back and acquire the entire field. He wasn't willing to take a chance. When he came back, he, he bought the whole thing, right? Because he found his treasure, the pearl of great price. And the third thing is this, you protect it. You protect it. Man, when you're like, this is, you're protective of it. Nothing has access to that. Do I protect my retirement fund more than my faith promise fund? What am I protecting? What am I, where is my treasure? Because that's where my heart is. And if my heart is in Christ, then like the one, I'm where he is. And you know where he is? He's searching and seeking the lost. And we're singing, teach us to love like you. He loved with everything that he had. Left nothing out. Gave it all. Gave it all. And when we live like that, God has this unbelievable way of being God. He's pretty good at it. And you, you know what I've learned? I learned that he's so good at being God. The only problem is, is most of the time, I'm not willing to let him. Right? I want to be God. Because the meaning has to make sense to me. Right? I, and so I'm like, okay, I understand what you're saying, God. And I think God sometimes is going, then you don't understand. Because what, what I'm asking you to do is beyond your comprehension. What I'm calling you to believe for is impossible in man's view, but not in God's. And I'm calling you to live in faith. For what reason? Not so that I would be glorified, but so that he would be glorified. For who? The lost. The lost. There are billions of billions of people just like you and just like me who have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, Jesus died for them just like he died for you and just like he died for me. And you know what? Everybody in here is the product of somebody else making missions the mission. We're all saved. We're all spending eternity in what cannot be comprehended. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no heart can contain. That's what awaits us because somebody else made missions the mission. And the last thing is this. With a treasure, there's a map. And Jesus is the map. Jesus is the map. Not, you say, well, what you, like, like the, the word? No, Jesus Jesus is the map. I love what Pastor Jack said a couple of weeks ago when he said to love like Jesus loved. Jesus is the map. To realize Jesus is calling us to follow him. Not to just believe in him, but to follow him. To live the life that he lived. Completely, recklessly abandoned to what? A cause. A cause. To understand that where our treasures are, there our heart will be also. To, to embrace this idea because missions is the mission. And the faith promise is the tool that we use to break off the affections of the world off our hearts. Not tithing. Sorry, pastor. But listen, tithing is like when the word says to be kind to somebody who's kind to you, that's what the heathens do. 
tithing, look around you. It's easy to see what we get from tithing. We're the direct beneficiaries of what is given to this church. It's no different in Arizona, right? This giving to a cause that you benefit from, unsaved people do that. Missions is giving to a cause you might not ever see the benefit of. That's missions. Missions is going, God, I, I might not ever meet the person that this faith promise is going to bring the gospel to. They may never know. Oh, I know this is going to be bothersome. They may never know it was you. When we give in faith with the faith promise, we're giving. Why? Because missions is the missions. Because Jesus came and he said, this is what I'm calling you to do. And thank God somebody else embraced it because I wouldn't be here today and neither would you unless it happened. And now, now God is calling us. He's calling us to realize that this is what is before us. This is what he's calling us to do. It's what's close to his heart. There is no earthly tangible treasure to the faith promise, only a heavenly one only a heaven one. And when we realize that, and I know that it's not the all, it's not the only thing, but the reality is, is what I've learned is it's the thing that wakes us up. It's the thing that brings clarity to the translation that allows us to know what matters to him, the unsaved, that he'd be willing to leave the 99 in an open pasture, vulnerable to attack, to go after the one. That's his heart. And that's the heart he calls us to have for the world. To not be so preoccupied with making sure that everybody is fed and cleaned and taken care of and comfortable and secured. Then we'll go. No, no, no. Go. Why? Because they're lost. Because they're lost. Would you bow your heads this morning? Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus. God, we thank you for your word. We're thankful, thankful for your faithfulness, God. That when, Lord Jesus, your word reminds us that give us ears, Father God, to hear what the Spirit is saying. God, we want to know you so that we can know what you mean. We want to follow you so we can do what you've called us to do. And where we have our treasures in earthly things, Father God, we're asking for you, Lord Jesus, to do work in our hearts, to break off the ties that bind us to earthly treasures. Break them off of us, God, that we would be willing, Father, to lay it all on the line. Be willing, Father God, to hold nothing back. Be willing, Father God, to say, if it's what you require of me, I will. Why? Simply because you have asked. That's the faith we want. That's fearless. That's courage, God. To put the kingdom of God before everything else and let you Take care of the rest. In Jesus' name, amen.